Welcome back. It's me, the Susan Anime, and you are listening to Sloth Under the Sea with me. And we will be talking about movies, TV shows, books, fun holidays, everything from other countries to does this still hold up to this day? From, like, rub brats to, like, as told by Ginger, to Movie Monday, to True Creepy Things Tuesday, to whatever I feel like talking about, because this is my podcast, and I hope you all will stay and listen to me and have some good old-fashioned podcast fun, and we'll try to stay as calm as we can, but let's get into it, and let's all have some fun listening, and you can also see me sometimes on YouTube doing my podcast as well. Okay, here we go. before listening to this video. It's mature and may be uncomfortable for some viewers. Viewer discussion is advised. Be cautious. This is more for adults or for those who get permission. I'm your host, the Susan Anime O'Higgin. Yes, that's right. That is the name I go by. My stage name. And we're going to be talking more about the golden age of pirates, life explorers, tragedy, robbery, and buried treasure. But first, before we do all that, we have... Yeah, I should probably stop talking like that. We have a sauce guide to taking it easy because I decided to add a little bit of stuff about sauce. Okay, sorry, where were we? You were going to tell us all, all why you're an expert in 
the field of taking things easy in the stressful 21st century. Oh yes, take a look at my resume. Resume. Brian the Sloss resume. Education, none. Employment history, none. Hobbies and interests, eating, sleeping, napping, hanging out with friends. Socializing. Strengths. Patience, a sunny disposition, relaxed and calm under pressure, can communicate with creatures from all walks of life. Weakness, running, time management. Personal statement, I'm a calm and dependable sloth who has spent decades performing the art of relaxation. My optimism outlook combined with my laid-back attitude makes me the ideal candidate for the role of relaxation guru. And then we will continue with the rest of the next podcast. Now let's continue. Let's continue with the golden age of pirates. Okay. The pirates in the social hierarchy of 16th century England, sailors fall, fell somewhere between farm laborers and common criminals. They were outcasts on land and abused aboard merchants and Royal Navy ships. The work was dangerous and the discipline notoriously brutal. With captains mating on flaggings for even minor mistakes, this was little wonder that some sailor def affected to other sides of the law, Benjamin Horngold, Edward Heck, later known as Blackbeard. I just want to call him Blackbeard, but okay. And Black Sam Belly Arm me. Amy, Belly Amy? All began their careers as common sailors. So did Pirate King, Henry Every. Today, through the prism of time, these Merton's outlaws can also be viewed as part of a political and social revolt. They embrace other marmalized members of society, including runaway slaves and indented servants, and ran their ships as Democrats. They defend imperial rule and in doing so, help inspire colonists to determine their own freedom. A bloody contest, Jane Burt, on one of the 17th century most successful privateers, and French naval commander Claude de Verbin battled with British in May 19... In May? Wow. Okay, 1689. They were both captured and taken to Plymouth, Plymouth, but escaped. Grace O'Malley, 1530 to 1603, describing Grace O'Malley, was an early Irish pirate. Does not do her any justice. 
does not do her any justice. For that, you would have to consider O'Malley or Gorgonil Maya in her native Gaelic in the context of the 16th century Trigathicless. I'm calling her Grace. Was just a young girl when British Henry VII had himself declared the Lord of Ireland as part of the Crown's long running effort to colonize its Norwegian brother. Neighborhood brother? Whatever. Once dem. dem. demoted. Gallic clans feud with each other and rebelled against oppressive regions led by English authorities and Articris. Grace, the only daughter of an ancient seafaring family from Ireland, was cast, was perfectly passionate to profit from the unrest, and as history took its course, she emerged a lily perjumous, though family, inheritance, marriage, and more. Homeland. This 1585 map of County May shows Clare Islands, where the O'Malley's clan had its summer residence. Its territory is marked on the left edge of the bay and where Grace O'Malley operated a stronghold. Scheming, she gained control of miles of Ireland's northern shore, often battling English authorities, sometimes doing their bidding and eventually expanding her base, teasing out fact from the legend that she has grown up around G-R-A-N-U-A-I-L-E is difficult. She was born in about 1530 to the O'Malley's a bloodline that extended back centuries. Gretchen Neal's father, a chieftain who operated a fleet of ships engaged in trade and piracy, raised her on the sea. She is said to have been taken her name, which means bold, because she cut off her hair. She cut her hair short like the boys and sailed with one Henry VII disposed the ruling Irish dynasty in 1536. He offered class privileges to Gallic clans that took on English customs such as a worth shipping in the Church of England, and the Catholic O'Malley refused as they did their neighbors, the O'Fleeters. In 1546, the dynasties were joined one, Gaelic and Daniel Donald, O-F-L-A-H-E-R-T-Y, became husband and wife. The marriage marked the real beginning of Gallic's ancestor. Well, hot-tempered Donald lived up to his congressman, Donald of the Many Battles. Grace sailed to Spain and 
Portugal to buy spices, wine, glasses, and other goods to be resold at home. She also provided a skillful warrior and marital strategist during a skirmish for control of an island in Long Corbe. Donald was killed, yet Grace fought on. According to legend, turning back the British invaders by pouring molten lead on their heads. When the pirate remarried, it was to powerful clan chief Richard Brooke, the owner of Rockfelt Castle. In less than a year, Grace claimed the castle as her own, separate from Brooke and unsurprised his post. As the mistress of Rockfelt, Grace ensured herself in a stone tower overlooking the Atlantic. She monitored vessels hiding north. She exported protection money lead punish Panovitz raids against other clans and shifted her royalties as necessary. She seemed to finally meet her match in Richard Benjamin. Benjamin? Bingham. B-I-N-G-H-A-M. A governor installed in a near by Galway by Queen Elizabeth to enforce English law. Bingham? I want to say Benjamin, but I'm not really sure. Call Grace a remarkable traitor and achieved of every revolt in the process during the past 40 years. According to women pirates and the policies of the Jolly Roger by your like Colseman, Myron Menes, and Grace in 1593. He had her captured, seized her living stock, and impounded her fleet. Yet Grace had the last word. Later that year, she waggled an audience with Elizabeth. I want to say first. This is Elizabeth I. The only Gallic woman ever to do so and asked for a pension. The incumbent seemed to go well with Elizabeth sending a letter to Bigerham and ordering him to sort out some maintenance for the rest of her living of her older years. The tale is always set for travelers. A Hotwood Castle legend has it that after visiting Queen Elizabeth, I want to say first, Grace O'Malley journeyed through Ireland, making her way to Hot Castle about ten miles outside Dumbledon. She hoped to supple and also to dine with the castle's owner. Lord Hotwith, oh boy, H-O-W-T-H, but instead the gates were closed to O'Malley, who was generally offered by the Rebuck. In response, she kidnapped the Lord's heir and announced she would return him only if Hoth promised to always keep the gates open at dinner time and to always set a place for an unexpected guest. The accuracy of this table is debatable. O'Malley met the Queen in 1593. 
at which time there was no Hoth heir of the appropriate age. Other link the story to an old episode involving Richard O. C A. Nope, C-U-A-I-R-S-I-C-I, at the end of the 15th century, near there, lest the extra place is led at Halt Castle to this day. Dominant positions castle in Ireland, where Grace O'Malley is said to have visited dates to medieval times. It remains a family home today and can be toured by the public. That looks like a very interesting castle. I might want to go there one day. I am Irish. Northern N from my Ireland. Apparently. Ooh, Captain Kiddo. Kid. Captain Kid? With two Ds. Wait, okay. Captain Kid? BRB. Okay. Was Captain William Kid a good seamen gone bad, a pirate who plundered and murdered without remorse, or was he a victim himself, an unwitting pawn in a game of politic chess? Ugh. In 1703, the High Court of A.D.M.I.R.A.L.T.Y. in London took the former view, and after a trial at the Old Bailey, ordered the hanging of the 56-year-old captain. It took two attempts for the X E X E C U T I O N E R to slap Kid's neck and for Mets. Afterwards, his Gilbert body swung from the gallows along the Thames River as a warning to others. Kid had Preclaimed his innocence until the end, insisting that his crew, not he, was to blame, and that the killing of which he was conceived had an incident. Accident. But of the noble lords who financed Kidd's voyage, his former partner, Governor Bellomont of Massachusetts Bay, and the King of England. William I.I. I. None came to his defense. My lord, Kid told the judge before the hanging, it is a very hard sentence for my part. I am the innocent person of all of them. All I have been sworn against my prejury person. The beginning of Kid's tale as an marquee as its end is detailed. He was born about about 1645 in Scotland, perhaps the son of a Presbyterian minister, but perhaps not. At some point, Kidd took the sea and by 1689 had become a pirateer under contract to the British government to attack empty ships. Kidd for a time worked the waters around the Caribbean, then settled in New York, 
married, befriended politicians and merchants and an occasion accepted pi pirating commission. But it seems that the minor grew bored with life on land and set off to London to find sponsors for a new expedition. Ooh, getting a little juicy here. During his trip, Kid was introduced to an influential member of the Roiling Wig Party, Richard Coote. Cootie? Cootie. Yeah, Richard Cootie. The first elder of Belmont, who in turn enlisted other Whigs to form a syndicate to back kids' expectation, according to Under the Black Flag, by David Corden. At the time, England was at war with France, and the partnership authorized Kid to sail the Indian Ocean and raid and capture French ships. King William. I want to say third, signed off on the deal and was promised a 10% share of the spoils, soils, spoils, in spring 1696, if I said that wrong, I'm so sorry. Kid set off the venture gallery, a large arrangement meant with a supposedly violent temper. Kid made life on board difficult for a crew already living under challenging conditions, many of his soldiers gilmed. Blurred lines, before Kidd turned pirate, he had a long career as a law-abiding ship captain. Today, some think he may have been innocent of some of the charges and that his trial was unfair and he was executed in Whipping London on May 23rd, 1701. I feel like back then you could just say off with their heads and everyone would be like, okay. Like without proof. Yeah, I think you need to have proof or at least like a hearing. To Skyly are typical deceased whose those who remains were real restless after cruising the coast of Madagascar for months to no arrival, hoping for better luck. In the late summer 1697, Kid charged, court, changed course and set off for the Red Sea waters that were not part of his arrangement with his England back, backers, and that the backers would have been unlikely to sand quitting over the next few months. Kid lied the ground work for his own undoing, according to the book called Corridoring the World Atlantis of Pirates by August Constum, which differed on details but agreed on the overall narrative. In August, when the Venture Galley came across a small trading ship off the marble coast of India, Kidd boarded the vessel to interrogate the captain. As they spoke, some of his men questioned the tortured the ship's sailors to discover where valuables were hidden. 
at the Venture Galleys. Next stop on a small group of nearby island kids crew sees boats belonging to the locals for forward firewood, uh, hurt women, and attack villagers who retaliate by killing the ship's cooper. Then in October, Kid arranged violently with his gunner, William Moore, and smashed him in the head with an iron hooped bucket. Moore collapsed and died the next day. As 1693 drew close, the Venture Galley had yet to seize a significant prize, and morals sank even lower. But in January, while cruising the Arbarian Sea of the Marble Coast, Kid finally crosses past with a worthy target, the Q-U-E-D-A-G-H Merchant, a four to fit 400 to 500. Wow. Let me see if I can put this somewhere where I can read it better. 500. Okay. There we go. Vessel packed in the hulk with silk, sugar, calico, iron, and precious materials. Kid boarded the American-owned ship, and when the captain showed him French papers, Kid claimed the cargo as his prize. He sold most of the captured goods, then repaired, repaid to the pirate harbor of St. Marie in Madagascar. Restited, split the plunger for the Quijay merchant with his crew and waited for goods, whether to set sail again. When it did in early in 1699, Kid re-cherished the Q-U-E-D-A-G-H merchant, the adventure prize, and headed for the Caribbean. His timing was less than optional. Kid appeared before the House of Commons during his trial. Documents Kid requested to prove his innocence disappeared. He blamed his conviction on testimony by perjure and wicked people. See, that one's not as hard to believe. Like, back then, I wonder how well, like, if people just said, yeah, he did it. Like, I've heard that happening. But I'm not really sure. Like, it's hard to judge. Time he arrived, the British had declared Kid a wanted man, and the authorities were on high alert. The governor of every American colony received a letter to be on the lookout for Kid, and the governor of NEVIS sent a party to interrupt him, according to the trial of Captain Kid, edited by. Germanham Brooks, Kidd believed his only hope was to return to America and enlist the help of his partner. Lord Belmont, who by then was the governor of New York, Massachusetts Bay, and New Hampshire. On the way, Kidd stopped to deposit some of his treasure on Grand Dinner's Island. 
in the Bay of Long Island, New York, then sail from Boston to meet with Belmont. Also Belmont, that just sounds like a villain name to me, but whatever. Captain Kev arrived at his execution drunk, made a rambling speech and had to spend and was hung May 23rd, 1701 before a crowd. Oh, don't ever arrive to your own. That doesn't help anyone. Don't arrive drunk or on drugs that are not prescribed and you, you have to at least not do something so silly. Okay, the gold bug. In the decades after the trial of Captain Kidd, the pirate's legend grew, as did the belief that he had left behind buried treasure. Seeking to capitalize on the public fascination, many wrote spun out tales of adventures on the high seat. Even master of the marker B. Edgar Allan Poe got into the trend with his 1843 short, The Gold Bug. I love Edgar Allan Poe. He was my favorite poet when I was little. Like, middle school. Little. About a man who finds a little luchus grab and a scrape of paper on the beach while sitting by a fireplace. The man sketched the gibble in stick on the piece of parchment and in doing so, notice that the paper bear trace of invisible ink. Ah, the invisible ink. Ah, that is actually a real thing you can buy nowadays. It's perfect for, like, journals and different things. But yeah, that is definitely so cool. I love invisible ink. It's so much fun. Like, you could, like, draw and then, like, see it. Invisible ink. It's good and bad, all in one. Definitely kind of cool, though. Which are made visible by the fire's heat. He sees that the paper is sketched with a cryogram that gives instructions to a buried treasure. Following them, the man uncovers two skeletons and a chest filled with gold coins and jewels. He speculates that the two skeletons belong to two men who buried kids' famous treasure before the pirate murdered them to keep the whereabouts of his plunger safe. Well, the one thing about Captain Kidd, he may say he didn't do it, but you're still talked about. It's 2022, and, you know, you died in 1701. Not sure if you are happy or mad about that. But people believe in other spirits. I'm not sure how I would feel if, like, like, who knows if he was innocent or not. That's so hard to debate. Time he arrived, the British had declared, could, yeah, okay, we were already there. Where did I leave off? New York, Massachusetts, Bay of New Hampshire. On the way, Kid stopped to deposit some of his treasure. New York then sailed from Boston to meet with Belmont. A web of betrayal question. The governor listened to Kid's tale, promising he would obtain a king's pardon for the seamen, instead hoping to protect his own career and to seize the richest 
described by Kid Belmont had him arrested. Ooh, double-crossed. See, Belmont just sounds like an evil name. Dude, really? Also, Belmont. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to me. Because that's the name you hear in, like, uh, old tales, and they're usually the evil ones, so I'm like, okay. Uh... Back in London, delighted, truly politician seized the chance to embrace the wings who had sponsored Kid and used the episode to bring down key members of the party. The captain was returned to London aboard his warship and kept for months in solitary confinement. Accused of murder, piracy, and robbery, Kidd maintained his innocence, arguing that he had taken only two ships, both of which sailed under the French flag, and that he had been provoked into killing more. After eleven months, he was brought before the House of Commons, where in an extraordinary scene, he became the only pirate to be grilled by members of Parliament. During Kidd's two-day trial at the Old Bailey, the evidence against him was overwhelming, and he was found guilty on all charges. Kidd arrives for his execution drunk. Mm. Okay, you see, at first I thought it meant you arrived to your sentencing drunk. No, it was just your... Yeah, I could see that. That way you don't really know what's going on. Makes sense, I guess. We'll continue in a moment. Okie dokie, artichokey. It's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okie dokie, artichokey. Ah, break it's now. Okay. Okay. Made a rambling speech in his defense and was hung on May 23rd, 1701. Before a crowd, Kidd never confessed to committing the crimes. As for the treasure chest of gold and silver, as soon as Kidd was in captivity, Belmont set out to unearth it. A fraction was discovered on Grins Island and a little more in Boston, but nowhere near the amount Kidd had described in his meetings. Ah, see, that's what happens when you kill a person who has the information you want. Not the smartest move. I can tell you that. This dude looks like Captain Hook. Okay, cruelty. 
respection. Captain Kidd, who arrived in New York in 1691, is shown here in the city's harbor. He married a wealthy widow and then moved into a house on Pearl Street. Is Captain Kidd... Is Captain Hook based off of Captain Kidd? Because, dang, this one guy is, like, looks almost exactly like Captain Hook. Henry Every? Why are the names sounding so crazy to me? It's just rhymes. It's really weird. Henry Every. Well, thanks for the weird rhyming. 1659 unknown. Well, that's creepy. In 1695, the... G-A-N-J-I-S-A-W-A-I A trading vessel belonged to Great Miguel of India was far away. The largest boat operating out of the port of Surat she was also well forfeited with some 80 guns, 400 muskins, and 800 able-bodied men to fend off attackers. In September of the year, as the, I'm going to try pronouncing this, G.N.I. Siwa, sailed the Red Sea from Mexico, M-E-C-C-A, Mexico. Me'ekiko? She needed the protection for her hold was land with huge quantities of gold, silver, ivory, and jewels. It was the future fortune that would make British-born pirate Henry every very rich. Really, dude. If my name was literally Anna Banana, I would not tell people. I would just come up with a fake name. I feel bad for you. Like, just, and yeah, I mean, my daughter's going to kill me because her initials are BM. Some mistakes were made. Very famous and the subject of the first ever worldwide manhunt. Well, that's very interesting. Every appears to have enlisted in the Royal Navy at an early age, then entered the slave trade and at first mate. What the heck was that? Random. Of the Charles II, led a munity and turned pirate. Short portrayal and disluted looking. Avery cut an unlikely figure as a pirate but made clear who was in charge to the Charles the second captain. I am the captain of the ship now, Every supposedly announced. I am bound to Madagascar with the design of making my own fortune and that all of the brave fellows join with me. The Charles second crewman needed a little persuasion to partake in the adventure. Since they had received no pay from some eight months and expected little plunger, every reinsurance that Charles II as the fancy and sailed off with a new flag, capturing and looking vessel as he traveled. His name became known from 
M-O-C-H-A to the Bay of Belgium and the fancy new ship of heavy upper work sailmen sailed more swiftly ever after seeing after seeing where <laughs> oh after seizing a French ship near the island of Joanne of the coast of Africa every took on its crew of 40 as well as a dozen other Frenchmen who had been shipwrecked in the area. The French was now a formidable pirate vessel, armed and manned to the hit and able to escape all pressures. A little over a year, every was in the Red Sea when he learned of the Giasiva, the Mangel trading vessel, and joined with a number of other pirate ships to lay in wait, captured, provided surprisingly easy. With his first shot, Every destroyed the Giasiwa mainmast, and when one of the Giasiwa-owned canics exploded, havoc region on the deck the fragments killed three or four of the gunmen and according to some accounts even the captain picked, panicked taking refuge below among a group of young Turkish women he had purchased to serve as his con cabins the G A N J I S Y W A. I'm not really sure how to pronounce this. This is actually really hard to pronounce. Okay. Do 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 do. Crew put up a little resistance, and a multi-day orgy of violence followed. Every man. Uh, Harmed a female passenger of all ages, and some witness reports women jumping aboard, overboard, or killing themselves with daggers to avoid that fate. Other passengers and shipmen were tortured or murdered. Once every and his troop had finished stripping the boat of its valuables, they set the ship loose to return to port, as was the custom. Every reward. His crew equally share in the ill-gotten haul, about a thousand each on the equivalent of twenty years' wages on a merchant ship. He received the normal captain allowance of two shares, while the paid-off made every hero to mistreated sailors and cabin boys the raid threatened relations between England and the Indian Mongols. Mongols? I'm not really sure. An adversary council to the government and the East Indian Company offered a bounty for every head. A number of his crew 
were eventually captured in prison or hung, but every seemed to simply disappear. He became the focus of endless gossip. Some said he became the king of pirates and returned to Madagascar with his retribution, living a life of luxury. Others say he had so much gold and silver he minted his own coins, bearing his profit. In alternative accounts, he offered to pay off the national debt in exchange for a pardon or was swindled out of his riches and ended his days in purity. Whether the truth, the pirate, and his luxurious two-year region were celebrated in England-speaking world as an example of sea robber cunning, he was never caught was carrying a load half a million gold and silver pieces and was within eight days of her destination in India when every captured her. Her crew resisted but was easily overcome. Very interesting. Uneven match the great Mughal ship was much bigger than every fancy and carried more than four times the number of men. But the pirates and his crew easily took her over. Benjamin Horngold. Okay. Well, I hope you all liked and enjoyed today's episode of True Creepy Things Tuesday. We will eventually talk about Vikings. We'll finish the stuff on pirates. We'll talk about other creepy things as well. I hope y'all have a great week. Yes, that was my bone popping. Sorry about that. I think my shoulder's just all weird. But I hope you have a great and wonderful week. Bye for now. Okie dokie, artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon and with the ad coming up soon i know y'all might want to skip it but you should at least try to listen to some of it maybe it's important i hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast and i hope the ad and sponsor is a good one artichokey okay dokey artichokey ad break it's now Hope you like. You can check me out on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I also have another podcast. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Bye for now. Over and out.